Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Never Have I Ever and Thoroughbreds, two very different approaches to rich teen girls in America. Yes. That's a very broad encapsulation, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, how- we love it when things have the commonality. How have you been, Jenny? How's your week been? Uh, my week has been okay. Yesterday, we just got a hurricane warning. Um, oh, fucking fun. torrential rains and humidity. And uh, I look forward to seeing this every day, every year mm-hmm. for the rest of our lives. Yes. yes, uh, yes. Not to be like a climate nihilist, but... Mm, it's it's already the there truth. it's the truth like yeah. we've had we've had like at least five of those in mm. new york already so not great it's not what great. it is All like right. the, the, th- the the fact that the thunderclaps are getting so deafening is like Ugh. you know it's like god give me a sign like <laughs> like this is like, this, a little bit too given. on the nose yeah 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 um, yeah but you know we love the drama of a thunderclap like that's fun um, I, I guess um but yeah seeing like this stuff seeing all the recent terrible floods there have been yeah all around the world all around the world not, yep. not great not great um were you ever were you, when you were a kid did you ever like to watch thunder and lightning or were you just like mostly scared of it i feel like i was more on the the scared side of the spectrum mm-hmm. uh what about you Oh, you know, I love to watch that shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured. What about you, Pelon? What's going on in your world? I've been all right. I've been trying to, you know, have an activity every weekend. Wow, that is not not every weekend. Once up. every two weekends. So you know, it was, okay. karaoke, it was karaoke before, and then I went to the Noguchi Museum up in Queens. Nice. Yeah, it's my, it's my second time. Like the last time I was there, I was there with a mate about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was my husband's first time, and. You know, sometimes you just have to look at some rocks and cry. Oh. Yeah, you know, I've gotten to that point in my life where I just, like, look at pieces of art and sculpture and just, like, burst into tears. Um, But, I I mean, I didn't burst, but I was getting very teary-eyed at a moment. Mm -hmm. Because the thing about Noguchi is, if you don't know his work, his material, as a sculptor, his material is basically, like, rocks, like, different types of rocks. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, like, plays with, like, texture. And I think part of his whole thing is like, you know, we've moved too far away from the earth. Yeah. Um, and because we've moved too far away from the earth, we've kind of forgotten what it means to be human. Oh, and it's not so true. We, it's so true. And it, the part of it was like the Hiroshima bomb, like nuclear oh, bombs wow. was kind of like his calling for that message. Cause he was mm. like back in the, he was working back in the fifties wow. and sixties. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a evergreen evergreen way of thinking and it's especially true now yes uh, that's why it really did something to my emotions because it was just like oh yeah like with the internet and like with the fact that climate change is like raring right now to go it's it was just yeah it was really emotional because it was just like oh it's too late now mr (laughs) Noguchi. but yeah it's fine it's fine like i had a beautiful time they have this like garden that just incredible i would recommend anybody in new york to go it is by appointment only Oh, I see. Yeah. The only downside is that you can't touch the the sculptures. Could you before? No. You oh, before. okay. You couldn't before either. It's just like okay. the biggest downside because he he plays with the texture of the rock. Oh, so it's okay. just it, yeah. I was really itching to touch. I did touch a couple. 
all. I don't. <laughs> museum so, yeah. museum staff don't listen to us. No, don't don't listen to us, and also like don't tell the museum police about <laughs> me breaking the rules. Um, but other than that, uh, we've been watching a little bit of telly. It has been. I mean, personally speaking, for me, I haven't really known what to talk about just because everything is in such early. Like we've gone way back to week to week episode releases, which I love as Mm -hmm. a viewer but as a podcaster it's a little bit tough to pick what you want to talk about because it's like you haven't got enough episodes yeah Um, it's like do you start do we talk about the beginning midway like right before the end after it ends this is our eternal question so also like if anybody has an opinion if you would like us to talk about things earlier or later or whenever as these things come out uh please let us know because we don't really know at the moment yeah, for us it's more like mid-season. Like we would at like least to start yeah. talking about it at least mid-season, or you know, an episode or two before the finale, just so that we can kind of get an idea for how the arc of the season is going. But it's it's been a little bit tough, and I say all of that to say I've had trouble picking TV, so I ended up picking a film. But you did pick a TV show, so Jenny, why don't you take it away, babes? Yeah. So this week I am talking about Never Have I Ever um, on Netflix. So this is kind of like a a rom-com teen drama by Mindy Kaling and Lang Fisher, starring Maitri Ramakrishnan as, as Davey, an Indian-American high schooler in the LA suburbs who is, you know, typical teen life, trying to juggle school life, social securities, uh, teen horniness, a difficult relationship with her mom, and the recent death of her father, sadly. So this is not a new, new show. The first season came out uh, April 2020, and the second season just premiered on July 15th. So there is plenty of material to talk about here and, you know, the, the whole arc of the two seasons. But, Pellin, how far along are you in your watch of this? I'm almost done with the first season. Wow, you, like, yeah. sped through that. Yeah, I mean, it's a good background watch. Yeah. Like, I was cleaning the house, and it was just kind of on in the background. Yeah. Episodes yeah. are not very long. Like, no. there is not much that, like, demands your minute attention. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts so far? I think I am a little bit expired on teen <laughs> teen related things. That's fair. That's um, very fair. I, I think it's... I, I personally thought it was good for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... The thing that bothered me a little bit were like some of the story beats. I've just mm-hmm. seen them so much now. Yes. Like with all the amount of like teen high school um Netflix and also other other networks are also like trying to be in their bag with this. It's just the beats are basically the same. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a bit boring to me. But overall, like good effort. <laughs> like for <laughs> what it is. And like I really liked I mean, I don't know any other show that kind of tackles like Indian American teen themes for the most mm-hmm. part. So I liked how it tried to kind of get into that a little bit. But, yeah. Yeah, it was fine. Like, I, I genuinely think it's like fine. Um, yeah, that's yeah. very fair. And I think that echoes a lot of my feelings, like in regards to teen high school stuff as well. And this is kind of what we talked about with Ginny and Georgia as well, where they're it's kind of like two main threads. Like in one, more than 50% of like each of these series, I would say is like definitely the focus on like the typical high school teen, you know, drama. Like, um, like in here, you know, Davies plot to lose her virginity, to get a boyfriend, her love triangle, like other like school dances, 
uh, other kind of, you know, more typical high school cliches, which I guess neither of us are very interested in anymore yeah. as grown adult women. Yeah. Um, and then the other side of the coin is the stuff that I find more interesting personally, which is like the stuff where in Jenny and Georgia, for example, it's about a complicated relationship between mom and daughter, of course. Here, there's also a complicated relationship between mom and daughter, um, but also the element of, like you said, like growing up Indian American and like losing your father, like that grief, the mourning and kind of what it does to, you know, a young person who's still coming of age, who's still like coming to terms with herself. And the latter is what I find much, much more interesting and moving and um, even at times like poignant. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I think it still takes like here. It is the underpinning of a lot of the show. I think I would consider it the heart of the show, but unfortunately in terms of like pure, you know, hours on screen in front of us, uh, I think it still does take a little bit of a backseat to all the teen stuff. Yeah. Which. Yeah. Which yeah. Is un- it's, it, I get it. Because yeah. Davy is avoiding it. She's yeah. avoiding dealing with her grief and yeah. she, she employs other methods to kind of avoid it. Yeah. Um, but it, it at the same time, like I wish that we spent a little bit more time on why she avoids it so much and like flashbacks and everything. Like we get it, she loves her dad. Her dad is great and also really hot. Shout out to the actor that plays <laughs> him. Um, but it's just I don't I don't know if I care to kind of offer a solution for that. Other yeah, I would just prefer uh, a less avoidant protagonist. <laughs> like I think that's kind of I think I wish I. I wish she was a little bit more self-destructive in her methods of avoidance. Oh, in that case, I have good yeah. news for you because oh, season two, it really sort of pushes forward with uh, bringing out her worst tendencies oh, God. and kind of letting herself destruct a little bit, which is really kind of cringeworthy to watch just because of like the secondhand embarrassment. But also I found it almost more satisfying in a way. So, I mean, I agree with friend of the pod, Ingu, Ingu Kang, um, who is now the Washington Post TV critic. So in her review of season two, she said uh, that the second season of Never Have I Ever, it brings out more of the best and more of the worst of the show. Mm-hmm. And I am finding that accurate. Mm-hmm. So... You know, as much as the I really did like the parts of the first season that did sort of pick into her grief and how she has this really thorny relationship with her mom, like that very profound feeling of or fear that, you know, her your mom doesn't like you like as your child and, you yeah. know, wishing that you had still had your other parent and I mean, all of that stuff. Like season two, I think it even goes further into a little bit more of Davy's like psychology like Mm. literally she has more of her psychologist in it but like more mental health struggles like social anxiety like she does like really shitty things and you know you can debate whether or not she gets like pardoned too quickly but like it's shit fully paints her as like the the selfish self-centered sometimes kind of narcissist teen that she is and then a lot of it that i found more moving in the second season was you know, how she has such a fear of being seen as crazy. Like she has this reputation of being a crazy Davy that other teens like call her, like her peers call her. And that is such a frustration of hers, such a fear of hers. And she's lashes out continually. 
And it kind of highlights how still like the effects of grief, which don't fade like overnight, it highlighted some of the worst tendencies that she already had, but also everything is sort of feeding into this like outstanding like anxiety and fear she has of her her own like social status and how people see her yeah so if you do continue i would say that's something to look forward to but Mm -hmm. also Mm -hmm. unfortunately you know season two it continues to do more teen stuff that is part of the genre but again like there's only so much i can take with like a love triangle and like flip-flopping between like one guy love interest Yeah. yeah I guess another highlight is the second season also has more stuff to do for the mom, which mm. for any teen show, I love seeing what the parents are up to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that was a strength of Ginny and Georgia. So it was a clean, yes. It was a clean split between the mom and the daughter, you know, Yeah, what they're up to. Totally. Um, so that is something to look forward to. So the mm-hmm. mom played by Porna Jagannathan, who is also like quite good in this, like very hawkish and severe, but beautiful clothes. Beautiful, beautiful woman. It's interesting because she's like, she's her age and she's an appropriate age. Yeah. But it's interesting to see how culturally she's just like somewhere in the middle, like between like American and Indian and like the way she is trying to navigate Devi's Americanness is is interesting because that's kind of how it is. Yeah. For a lot of our parents. Yeah, um, I will say she's very lenient with Davy with certain stuff, <laughs> even though like she's she's it, it's shown that she is strict whenever like a guy or like a, a young boy is around her and everything. Yeah, I don't know, dude. Like if my mom saw me kissing a guy, I like I couldn't tell you how bad that would have been mm-hmm. at, at Davy's age. So it was, and not to like compare it, it's just like that would be like the end of the world for my mom. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see how, you know, it's like a part of her character, but also for the sake of the plot, it kind of has to move on. <laughs> like, yeah. So. Like, Davy will get, like, a, a talking to, a scolding, but also, like, no real punishment happens a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. But I, I do, you know, kind of like her as a character as well. And I like how, especially in the second season, she gets a little bit more breathing room to kind of go into her own grief um you know as the yeah the wife uh, who lost her husband yeah. and trying to find support from her family back in india who doesn't necessarily provide it for her mm-hmm. um that's stuff that i'm you know i found interesting as well as well as like in the second season you'll see there is a little bit more of a nuanced i think exploration of like again Davy's Indian American identity, which yeah. was discussed a little bit in the first season, but I think in a maybe more of a cliche way. In the yeah. second season, there is a storyline about a new classmate, a new Indian American girl who is kind of like more popular, more outgoing, funnier, cooler than Davy, oh, and God. just yeah. like the the insane like jealousy she feels and insecurity that she is basically being uh, replaced as like the the quirky Indian girl or like the only Indian girl in her grade. Yeah. Um, which is, I think like a very real, it's very real. A phenomenon. Yeah. It's a very real phenomenon that I think yeah. doesn't get portrayed as much in like whatever quote unquote, you know, diaspora or second generation or whatever TV 100%. shows. It's very accurate. I do love that. that Cause I saw the trailer for the second season. And I was just like, holy shit, this is so specific, <laughs> but it's yeah. genius. Like, I think it's great. And I think like, I'm hoping in the second season they end up like becoming friends or whatever. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you are quote unquote a minority, sometimes you really do s- s- covet that minority, st- that like exceptional minority status. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
for better or for worse. And also, like, you just, you can't help but compare, you know? You yes. You can't help but compare. That just, always happens. Because your sense of self is so tenuous on, like, how other people perceive you. Yeah. Especially, first of all, like, just baseline as a young teenage girl. And then you add the ethnicity on top of that. And the yes. way that you're different on top of that. Once you have someone there to compare yourself to, it becomes even worse. Absolutely. Um, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yet another touch of authentic experience there. I will say overall, like, one of my things is I wish that they gave the cousin Kamala more to do. Yeah, I love her. Yeah. She's so she's sweet. Su- she's yeah. very sweet, but she's just, like, gets the, the barest of, like, storylines. Yeah, like, which... how, how to escape the arranged marriage. Like okay. Yes, yeah. 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 A little bit, a little bit cliche. Um, second season... She gets a little bit more, I think, of, like, autonomy or uh, agency, but still, like, very scant storyline. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll see, though. I think they're setting her up to have, like, a an actual, like, recurring love interest for future seasons. So That's good. Yeah. But, yeah, this is kind of a... It's a different teen drama than the Riverdale's Euphoria's Gossip Girls of the world. But it's, a, I guess, the other side of the spectrum that is, like, much more PG or PG thirteen in a way, but definitely, definitely. yes, Which that is, kind of like Netflix corniness. Yeah, it's something that I wanted to bring up with you because, like, some yeah. of the jokes in this are very like risque. Yeah, or, oddly like, for some or like some like Netflix corny thing, politically incorrect, and it's like I. It, it sits a little bit like it, it makes sense to me as if you know Mindy Kaling was on this, like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they sit a little bit awkwardly amidst everything else. <laughs> yeah. Do you have? Are you thinking of like a specific one? I can't think of like one. It was. It just came up a couple of times where I was just like, "Ooh, uh, this is the wrong joke for the wrong show." Like, I don't know. It's more of a tone thing. Like, I think that it was at the beginning of first season, so I feel okay. Like they had like time I'm to like figure not out the super tone. remembering that. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe it felt a little bit more settled in in the second season, but there were just moments yeah. where it was like it would be funny, except it's like it sits really awkwardly Weird. with everything else. Yeah, um, I can believe that. I remember that season one, especially the beginning, there were I did feel like the writing was kind of forced a lot of the time, especially yeah. the dialogue. Um, I will say it does improve, I believe, in season two to the point where I was like, okay, this actually does kind of seem to ring a little bit more true to, mm-hmm. I think, the way that teens talk. And this is based off of nothing except my being on TikTok all the time. Yeah. But it has like some sort of like sh- sheen of genuine vibe, I guess, compared mm-hmm. to. That's good. Yeah, a lot of the, the dark. <laughs> teen shows yeah, yeah which yeah. always sound like they're adults talking through the yes. the mouths of teens yes. so probably the the dialogue writing does improve a little bit over time yeah definitely full disclosure i really don't like davy that's fair i think she's shown to be honestly a terrible person in she's a lot a of ways per- and just like fucking annoying dude like i do I, there's just something about the way that she showcases her rage, which like as a per- as a person, like on a personal level, I don't like people that can't check their anger. Yeah, <laughs> and just it, the petulance of her is like really irritating to me. Mm-hmm. And I get why. Like, I think you know whatever it is that they were trying to do with that character, where like she doesn't have to be the likable teen lead or whatever. I get it; it's working. 
congrats. <laughs> Do you think the, it's a little bit too much? It's a little bit too much. Like I'm really struggling to like figure out a way to like her because she's doing everything that I would never do. A, she's quick to anger. Yes. And like does like destruct like physically destructive things. Like she'll like yes. break her break her window or whatever. And then also like she runs away from her grief. Like she doesn't know how you know, she doesn't know what she's actually talking about, which is like basically all teens. But I will say I love the relationship with Davy and Ben. And I know how that like we see how that plays out, but I love their like back and forth and their dialogue with one another when mm-hmm. they're just like competing. And I I think that's like the probably the strongest part of it for me personally. Just Yeah, I was gonna ask dialogue. I was gonna ask, um, I guess Team Ben or Team Paxton? Um, I'm Team Ben, personally. Yeah. 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 Probably a better fit for her. We were talking about we were texting about uh how hot the the Paxton actor is, which makes sense because he's a thirty year old man. Yeah. And you can kind of tell. Yeah. And like I said to you over text, I feel like when they were casting him, they were like, oh, he's only five foot four. That's fine. He's probably 18. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, he's he's extremely handsome. Like, it's actually batshit how, how handsome he is to the point yeah. of like, I don't know if this is accurate. Yeah, like the point of kind of being like, like the point of incredul- incredulity where you're like, like this this guy next to yeah. Davey, um, who is like fine, but she looks like an actual regular teen girl, and that yeah. is part probably because the actress really is a really regular is, teen yeah. girl. Yeah, yeah. Pushing it a little bit to the point of Yeah. You know. It's <laughs> disbelief it's there. The actress that plays Davey, I I don't think she's very good. I think that's just kind of like also a part of the reason why I don't like the character. I think you can tell that she is uh, pretty new at this. I I believe so. Like, I think the thing, the story is like Minnie Kaling put out an open casting call. Oh, right. um, Got like thousands of responses. And, you know, they plucked this Canadian uh, kind of out of nowhere. Oh, of course. Of course. (laughs) Um, Yeah. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And I get why she was picked because I think she does strike that balance of like, she's actually really pretty. Mm-hmm. But then, like, you can see why other people wouldn't think she is so much. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, like the, the teens thing- at that age can't tell, like, natural beauty. And I think she's actually a naturally very beautiful girl. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, can't, not a great actor. I think she just needs a couple more lessons and she'll mm-hmm. get there. She'll Hopefully she'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't, whether you continue or not, that is up to you. Yeah, teen shows, man. They're they're weird. There's only so much of it, you know, as an adult yeah, person. You can take, you yeah, can take if, it a time. If we have any listeners under the age of 25, though, and you're still, like, hungry for the shit, and you are someone that is, like, Asian-American, I think this is, like, a good choice. Yeah. What about you, Pollen? What did you watch this week, speaking of teens? Oh, man. So I couldn't decide what to watch on TV. So I pivoted to film. And I pivoted to a film that has been recommended to me a couple of times by many people that I respect. So this is Thoroughbreds. You can find this on Hulu with live TV, which I didn't realize until Jenny told me because I'm, you know, I'm bougie. I've got the live TV uh option but i know many of you <laughs> peasants don't um and no, i'm kidding um so, <laughs> so it's it's on hulu live tv as like fxm and you can also get it on vod on prime for like four bucks i believe so this this film came out in 2018 
It stars Olivia Cook as Amanda and a very baby Anya Taylor Joy as Lily. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, she hasn't reached that like you know how angular she is now? Yes. You know I mean, like she she she's still, still got has that a like little, yeah, little round. Yeah. Yeah, she's got a little bit of that like teen just roundness, softness about her. Mm-hmm. She's she looks a lot like that in The Witch as well. Mm-hmm. Um but this is a film that is directed by Corey Finley. It's his directorial debut, which I think we'll get to that, but I think it's a very, very strong one. He also directed Bad Education, which is a film with Hugh Jackman about that. Like, oh. Yeah, so he, he, a great directing job in that one as well. So this film, you know, we've mentioned it's about teens, but it's more specifically about like the poor little rich girls that actually, whether they know it or not, like rebuke that statement or at least like weaponize that statement for themselves. And to give you a little rundown of what I mean by that, Amanda, who's played by Olivia Cook, she has recently been released from a psychiatric facility for <laughs> for killing her mother's thoroughbred horse in an unusual technique, which she'll get into later. And the film starts with her basically being dropped off at Lily's house, which is Anya Taylor-Joy's house, for essentially what we come to find out is a paid play date because her mother <laughs> is very concerned about her. And understandably, yes. Understandably. And initially it seems like they don't know each other and this, they just like know each other from school or whatever, but it's real it's kind of revealed to us that they've known each other since childhood. And uh they kind of fell out. Um or like got di- they distanced from one another as they got older. Mm-hmm. So you know the the first couple of play dates a little bit frosty. They jut against each other quite a bit, but then eventually Lily's uptightness kind of loosens and they become like two friends that are basically fascinated by one another. Like there's like a mutual fascination between like the differences in their personalities. You know, I think Amanda sees the potential in Lily and I think uh, Lily sees a little bit of her potential for darkness in Amanda, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. we ha- we do have an antagonist, obviously. Like these two girls are terrible. I will say that just right off the bat. But... Uh, the antagonist is Peter Sparks. That's the name of the actor. He plays Lily's archetypal stepfather. Just rich guy that is obsessed with himself, that, you know, doesn't respect her mother, kind of wants Lily out of the house. And you can say that you can see that there's like a mutual hatred for, for each other. And um, so then Amanda observes this mutual hatred and then presents the possibility of murdering him to Lily. Just to kind of get rid of that <laughs> little pesky problem. Yeah. And, and um, we should, I, I think, probably flag that Amanda is literally a sociopath, I guess is the term. Like, sociopath or psychopath. She um, does not, like, experience sh- emotions. Yeah. Uh, and this is, yeah, exactly. Like, this is, communicates this to us very early on. Yeah. I think this is the thing that fascinates Lily, because I think much like all mental illnesses, like, every human being has shades of it in themselves whether or not they'd admit and i think like lily is fascinated by her own like sociopathy or like whatever it is and then like wants to explore it with amanda who's like very comfortable in it you know Mm -hmm. anyway sorry brief aside no 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 it's great i'm i said it like that to say i'm gonna stop waffling now and ask you what you thought about it interesting film and also like very interesting to see olivia cook and anya taylor joy from like i think just before they started to to reach wider audiences like olivia cook she was in sound of metal which you know is 
we talked about before and was like quite a critically buzzy film and Anya Taylor-Joy, obviously Queen's Gambit. So to like go back a couple, a few years and like see them in like their budding, rising, uh, I guess careers was really interesting and to yeah. see how they like play against each other. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think Olivia Cook had done Me, Earl and the Dying Girl before she did this and Anya Taylor-Joy had done The Witch. So they had like yeah. a good film under their belts before they approached this. Yeah. Not brand new, but still like not exactly, yeah, not exactly widely known. Um, But yeah, it was interesting to see them play off each other and interesting in this context because the film is, I would say, good, probably good. You can say it's good. It does have, but its like, problems, so unusual, so yeah. unusual. Yeah. I would say it's, it is an unusual film. The you know, the, it, I have like very strong likes and very strong dislikes of this film. Okay, and mm-hmm. I think that the reason why I wanted to talk about it is like you know, not everyday excellence. And secondly, I think something that we, you and I, both try and do on this podcast is talk about things that aren't necessarily heavy hitters but really execute certain things quite well and that alone i think is worth celebrating because it's hard to do these things yeah it's hard to make tv shows it's hard to make films and i think we should celebrate the things that we you know we clock to be like that was actually done really well this part might be weak and that's kind of how i felt about thoroughbred so my favorite thing about this is mm-hmm. the way that it showcases these two very privileged young women and how easy it is to kind of like make that hop, skip and a jump to like murder. And then also to then plan it out in a way where they are not culpable. And the way that they do this is by trying to bring in like this local drug dealer called Tim, who is played by Anton Yelchin. Quick aside. R.I.P. R.I.P. to one of the one of the young huge like this is one of the saddest things like this is a whole like River Phoenix complex where it's just like oh my god he had so much more potential and so much more to give um, and obviously his death was accidental and very tragic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was his final performance. Oh, so the film is dedicated to him. It's just he's so good in this and he plays like the the local drug dealer that like sells drugs to like the teens. Like he's definitely older than everybody else. Like yeah. he's in his like late twenties or something. So he plays this kind of full on character that is so desperate to be successful mm-hmm. and has this like idea of himself in like ten years of where he's gonna be. And he just it's an amazing performance but it's especially amazing to see it in the midst of like olivia cook and anya taylor joy like playing these very very privileged white girls that are planning basically the worst thing that you could possibly do as literal murder literal murder he is like tim's character is there to show us how quick they are to lose all empathy like we know that amanda is a sociopath so she doesn't have any but the way that like Lily then just goes along with it, because the alternative is that she has to deal with the consequence, which is she's going to be sent to a military boarding school by her stepfather. Yeah. Which is like really not that bad. It's really not that bad. Right. Like you it's know? undesirable for her. It's clear she has a shitty relationship with this like shitty stepdad, but like, um, going to kind of extremes there yeah Um, yeah. but i did really like that how amanda so quickly 
awakens or mm-hmm. influences like Lily's own strain of whatever like sociopathic tendencies she has mm-hmm. in herself, like you said, Pellen. Like, yeah. like that did not take a long time at all. But it's not in a way that is so comes off as absurd because you you can kind of believe like how Lily she might have already had a lot of these tendencies or yeah, like something under her facade of perfect yeah perfectness yeah. and yeah how that gets awakened and then like puts it very quick use by her herself yeah. and yeah especially in their starting with their treatment of Tim yeah so I think like this film is really strong when it's trying to communicate that like how these two girls have this weird relationship that bring out the worst in one another basically what's Mm -hmm. interesting though is that amanda ends up being a little bit more human yeah for someone who doesn't have feelings yeah yeah yeah, she ends up having a lot of affection for lily and in turn lily gets a little bit more sociopathic (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was a weird like yeah reversal which i thought was really clever um yeah totally. and fascinated by yeah and um you know me in general i like movies like this about teens because i think that what people don't appreciate i think or maybe they do or they look away from it or they don't take it seriously is that being a teen is actually extremely scary mm. not because like on a personal level just in the sense that you are adult enough to have adult thoughts but you don't understand the consequences. Mm-hmm. And this is communicated to us in a lot of teen dramas with like a bunch of stuff, you know, like the way that they hate their parents and they don't understand their parents and all that fucking shit, right? Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of people that, you know, you're quick to anger, you're more emotional. And because like, like say for example, for teen boys, they are they have reached like almost adult strength. Yeah. And I think for girls, you know, there's nothing like a mean teen girl. like there really isn't like she is just in a league of her own these can be used in a way that can fuck up someone's life forever and you know there's another film that i think about a lot which anton yelton is also in funnily enough alpha dog have you ever seen that one it's the one with justin timberlake so oh no yeah so it's 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 like back in the day when like it's early aughts like when all the like the Shakespeare remakes were happening. It come, came out around that time. Uh, but it's based on a true story about like a bunch of like rich kids that kidnap someone after like a drug deal goes wrong or whatever. And it just like goes horribly wrong. And the effect that that has on like the family, it's just, it's, I've rewatched it recently and it, and it still holds up. But I love watching things like this because you know me, like if anyone's been listening to this podcast for long enough, I love looking at just the ugliness of human society and like not turning away from it. And a part of the reason why I love this film for what it is, is that it was just like, oh yeah, you know, teen girls, especially like rich teen girls, they're actually really fucking scary, dude. And not even in the sense that like they're capable of murder because they totally all are. It's the way that they don't like think things through. And it works in the favor of Amanda because she's a sociopath and she doesn't care. Um, but to see Lily's descent, I think was like the most interesting part of this film. Yeah. And yeah. I think... I was fascinated, I think, especially by the decision to, I'm not going to, like, explicitly spoil it, but, like, the decision when, like, a crime occurs and how it's depicted off screen, we see Lily sort of, like, shuffling around a little bit. I thought that was, A, like, a really good decision directorially, and B, just, like, fascinating as just, like, a 
like a bit of light routine work. Um, obviously it was like involved <laughs> probably trauma and stuff that mm-hmm. is not good for her mentally, psychologically, but, yeah. uh, for something that, you know, crime, uh, something of a crime, crime nature, uh, it was really pulled off quite quickly and quite efficiently. Yes. And that is again, like pointing to the kind of like sociopathy of, you know, whatever thing that is within Lily that allows her to, to yeah. do that. It's interesting that like my two favorite scenes include Anton Yelchin in it because again, like he's like the reminder that this is not normal. <laughs> yes, he's sort of like the the humane counterpart, um, which is yeah. funny that they made sort of not a hero, but at least like a a moral character out of again this like sort of like local drug dealer who has like a bad rap sheet because yeah. of like statutory rape and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, how they turn him into like a. Like the the stand-in, I guess, for yeah. a, a moral audience. The great thing about Finley is like he builds tension, exactly like you said, by like not showing, by concealing things, which is like mm-hmm. very like Hitchcockian. But I do think that this film has weaknesses, mm-hmm. and a lot of that has to do with the script. Unfortunately, it's a little bit tough because the stylistic choices and the choices to not show or the choices to conceal are very strong when they work but sometimes it's a little bit it's frugal to a point to a fault yeah i can see that yeah so there's there's a point in which the plan does not work out and i just thought it was very clumsily shown to us how it didn't work out yeah i didn't even quite realize what had happened until i don't know like it took a little bit for me to catch up yeah i think first time filmmakers especially and i can say this from myself as someone that like likes these types of films and wants to write these types of films of like dark underbelly of human existence type themes is that you want to do it in a way that is very gentle you don't want to be too obvious with it but the downside of being gentle is that sometimes you don't say it enough and i kind of wish we spent a little bit more time with either amanda or lily i like everything that was done in this film i just kind of wish it was given to me a little bit more that's basically like my biggest critique. So it does leave you wanting more. And for culture notes this week, did you know that the Olympics are happening, Jenny? Did you realize <laughs> that they started? And I, I was aware of the fact, yes, but um, I'm probably one of the exception because it seems like a lot of people had no idea that this was still going on. Uh, yes, they are. These Summer Olympics that were meant to happen last year we're moved to this year, still in Tokyo, still probably somewhat inadvisable public health-wise. Yep. They're going on, and it is technically a big cultural thing, like a big cultural event in the collective consciousness, just not in particular this year. Especially because, you know, we, we had a global pandemic, I'm not sure if you're aware. Um, yes. And <laughs> <laughs> it... it it made the world feel really small in a bad way. And I think the thing about the Olympics and like for all my Eurovision heads, which also make the world feel really small in a good way. Um, it's interesting to see the way that like, like a pandemic being terrible and making the world feel small and the Olympics actually being a great, it, it's just completely canceling out what makes the Olympics great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, loads of people have just been like, why are we even doing this? Which I think is a very, very valid question. Yeah, um, there have been protests in Tokyo. There have been protests yeah. in Tokyo, for sure. I do, I I kind of wish that it went ahead back like last year. I was just like, oh, how cool would it be if we just had a bunch of sporting events to watch? 
<laughs> like I the would, height of the pa- well it's but, hard to but, say but, height no, no, of the no, pandemic because no, this is it, also the, a height of the pandemic but i will say like the only reason why it, we're still in the height of it but like the the reason why i wanted that was because like i was craving for something that was impossible which is yeah a regular olympics like and a regular time this would have been f- fish like wish fulfillment wish fulfillment and just hoping that you know we had the nba like i think the nba had its own they figured it out they had the bubble and it was actually okay and this is not yeah. easy to figure out dude this is not no easy. you can tell you can tell now how yeah and i think is. olympics just like difficulty magnitude of difficulty is just like times times 10 times 20 times times 30 yeah. um however many countries there are times that amount yeah. um but yeah i i guess like what i am finding interesting like culturally for the olympics is maybe the the least important element of all is just like how present they are if not on tv because i don't know if, i don't know if i can have cable i can't watch this then at least on social media like tiktok specifically what i found really interesting is that like as soon as the olympics like started or even just a couple days before it basically my like algorithmically generated for you page on tiktok was suddenly full of Olympian athletes, uh, just like showing off life inside oh, the no Olympic way. Village. Yeah, that that makes sense because I only follow one Olympian mm-hmm. for all my Love Island season five heads, uh, Greg, which is like the Irish guy uh, from that season. He's a rugby player and he's playing for the Irish rugby olympic team and he his stories like as soon as he touched down he's just been giving updates and stuff so i've been watching only him so it makes sense like as to why the algorithm has just started to encourage yeah and it's it's really interesting seeing the day-to-day life how things work their dining hall like their how their dormitories are arranged and also like weirdly sort of destabilizing because you for a moment like you almost forget that these are not just like I don't know, college students giving a tour of the dorm, but they're like actually worlds. Yeah. I don't know, like world-class athletes. World-class athletes. Yeah. That's the way to put it. They're world-class athletes competing in like, I guess what is supposed to be like the honor of their lives of, of all like the highest tier of sports possible. And here they are just like doing a jumping on their cardboard bed to like, (laughs) <laughs> like show that it's not going to collapse or like yeah eating like gyoza in the dining hall like with their little uh seat separators like the plastic barriers between yeah. them and yeah. uh just just really interesting um i think tiktok wasn't in this sort of level of mainstream kind of like saturation back in the previous like the most recent summer olympics oh yeah no way yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like a game changer in just like surfacing these sort of things and i'm finding that fascinating this is my own personal olympics no i agree and the thing is like a lot of olympic athletes are like primed for being successful on instagram and tiktok because a they usually very good looking yes for some for some fucking reason (laughs) and uh but also you know they have amazing bodies Mm -hmm. and there's you know they have a thing you know if they're doing like a daily vlog like usually people like to follow the uh, someone's career along like what's their day-to-day like and they've got that they've you know they're training yeah they, they have they have content and, they can do every day exactly 
you know, going to the gym, doing this, doing that, like being out, hanging out with my other hot Olympic athlete friends or whatever. So even outside the realm of the Olympics, I feel like they've got like a pretty viable way of making it work for themselves just as, as like, oh, what's your thing? If you can't be an Olympic athlete or if you, if people don't care about your sport on a regular day, like how can you kind of like flip that sports brick into something that kind of yeah. works for you on social media sense they're primed for it they're already like very very suitable candidates for it so yeah it's interesting to see this journey through their eyes because they all it's like you said it's kind of like watching a bunch of kids move into their dorm mm-hmm. the and a lot of them are like actually still college age so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly it is but- anyway yeah like what you're saying this is like totally on like hits a nail on the head like this is and this is like sort of also their Olympics for like make or break like branding. Um, yeah. Like this yeah, is yeah. their seize the moment to capture all this attention and convert it into followers and convert those into, you know, brand money. So yeah, yeah. it's all one I mean, big thing. It's all one big thing. And like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know, but like most Olympic athletes are broke. If they don't come from rich families already, which a lot of them do anyway, mm-hmm. but that's that's another aside. But they they don't really make that much money, like as Olympic athletes. Yeah. So they gotta get the brand deals, yeah. They gotta get the branding, man. It makes me a little bit sad watching it because of like you know, for for a lot of these people, they've been tra- training for the last like well their whole lives, but then also especially for the last like five years. Mm-hmm to get here and to like get the gold or whatever and you know it's not to say that if they were to get a gold medal it means any less it's just i think the experience is extremely different and so much of that is the fault of the tokyo olympic committee deciding to go ahead and do this anyway instead of just taking the l and skipping yeah sort of a lose Um, a lose lose it's a a lose lose yeah like they're forcing it and by forcing it it's just like not the most exciting and i think that says a lot about the reason why a lot of people haven't been tuning in because it's not the same it just simply isn't you know the fact that the olympic athletes couldn't even go to the opening ceremony and they had to watch it on tv like in tokyo in their like lodgings it's just fascinating yeah you know on a on a regular year they it would be like I feel like it's probably a different plane of existence, like being in an Olympic, um, what's the word? Olympic village. Village, where they're just fucking each other <laughs> constantly. Yeah, well and documented like, say, that that is, like, yeah. Olympic village is really, like, Orgyville, uh, once yeah. the game's hit. Because, you know, tensions are high. A lot of these people, this is, like, make or break for them. The whole lives yeah so i don't know best anyway. of luck to those who are trying shout out uh, to the athletes stay safe yeah stay like safe get... maybe i'll watch <laughs> i mean i'll keep watching the tiktoks in any case and i i support all of them mm. in their their sporting adventures and their branding adventures indeed indeed so that's it for us this week if you are watching anything that you think we should check out please let us know criticism is dead at gmail.com or just at us or dm us at criticism is dead one word on twitter and instagram for extended show notes including links and everything we've been talking about and then some we'll throw in some of those tiktoks of those hot olympians for yes you, of course <laughs> please subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com as always thank you so much for listening please rate and review us on apple Podcasts. tell a friend about us tweet about us nice words thank you so much <laughs> we will see you next week guys take care bye, bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Jijan. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.